Today's reading is from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 19, uh, which is on page 1085, 1085 in the Church Bibles. Uh, Yeah, that's John chapter 17, verses 1 to 19. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Okay, do keep that passage open and let me pray as we begin. Loving Father, we thank you that you are not far off, but that we can pray to you and you speak to us. Please speak to us now as we come to your word and help us to hear what you have to say to us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been regularly coming along on Sundays, you will know that since September we've been working our way through John's Gospel in the hope that we might get to know and love Jesus better. And we're now entering perhaps the darkest moment of that narrative. Since chapter 13, Jesus has been speaking with his closest followers on the night before he was to be crucified. And the atmosphere has at times been decidedly tense and unnerving. 
He's told them that one of them will betray him, another will deny him. He's told them that he's about to leave them and that they will be persecuted as he is about to be. Several times he's told them not to be afraid, to take heart, a sure sign that there was something to be afraid of. And though the disciples don't seem to have fully grasped what is about to happen, Jesus is fully aware of the horror he is to experience in just a few hours' time. To use a favourite image of John's, there's a real sense here as this final meal with his friends draws to a close of the encroaching darkness of the world. Uh, Darkness I know we will all be familiar with in different ways. You can imagine that the disciples would be feeling frightened, scared, anxious, uncertain of what the future will hold. Maybe there are some here tonight who would feel in a similar place. And it's at this moment that Jesus prays this prayer. And we're just looking at the first half of it this week. It's an extraordinary passage to have, one that I feel I can't really do fully justice to in our short time together. In this prayer, we see Jesus talking at length with his Father. In this prayer, we see a conversation, if you like, within God, a conversation among the persons of the Trinity. And by praying before his disciples and before us, we're being invited into the intimate life of God himself. It's like when we go and stay with a family for even just a couple of days, and in that time we enter into the life of that family. We see their interactions with each other, the dynamics of their relationships, and we almost become a part of the family for the time we're there. Well, I think something very similar is happening here. By praying this prayer, Jesus is inviting us in to the very home of God drawing us into the intimate relationship he has with his Father. But why do we have this prayer now, at this moment when the disciples are full of fear and dread? Well, on one level, this is Jesus' prayer for his disciples as they go out into the world without him. In verse 11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. Jesus knows that his disciples, he knows that you are living in a world where we can often feel like aliens and strangers, a world where the darkness can often feel overwhelming. And this prayer is Jesus' prayer for you as you live in the darkness of this world. But on a deeper level, this prayer reminds us in that darkness of the home we have in Jesus, the intimacy we can experience with him even now, the intimacy he longs to have with us. And so I hope this prayer will be a great encouragement to us all in the times when we feel far from home in this world, a reminder of the true home we have with Jesus. And so as we look at this prayer, I want to think about those two different directions it takes us in. Firstly, that Jesus sends us out on a mission into the world. 
And secondly, Jesus draws us home to himself. So first of all, Jesus sends us out into the world. And here we're looking really at the second half of the passage from about verse 11. Jesus is acutely conscious here, as we've already begun to see, of the, the darkness of the world into which we are sent. He says in verse 14, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. If we've chosen to live according to God's ways, as revealed in his word, we find ourselves living very different lives from those around us who have chosen not to follow God's ways. And as a result, there there should, or at least should be, something of a disconnect between Christians and the world. And that disconnect can sometimes manifest itself in explicit hatred, whether it's the persecution many of our brothers and sisters experience around the world today, or something much less severe, but still tough to live with. And perhaps there'll be some here who have experienced that hatred, the threats, the mockery, being snubbed, being passed over for promotion, and so on. And whilst it can be hard often to disentangle exactly why we get those responses, and maybe sometimes we're partly to blame, many of us will know the painful experience of being rejected by those around us because we're Christians. But the darkness of the world can come in other forms, though, as well, can't it? Illness, the death of a loved one, tedious work, a struggle to find work, loneliness, being let down by our friends and family, and countless other forms. And as he sends us out into a world such as this, Jesus prays for our protection. He says in verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And I suppose that raises the question, well, protection from what? It's not protection from these things. He goes on to pray a bit later in verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. This is the world we live in, and until Jesus comes again to renew all things, this is how the world sadly is. Jesus does not take us out from it because as we'll see in a moment he wants us to be fully a part of it. He's not praying that we would be protected from such things but that in such things we would be protected from something far more serious. He continues, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. In all those situations where we experience the darkness of this world, Jesus says the devil is there trying to tempt you to follow a different path, to follow a path that ultimately is away from God, and it is him that we ultimately need protecting from. There was a time earlier in his life when Jesus shared with his disciples how he was going to experience the full depth of the world's darkness, when he would endure the taunts of the Roman soldiers and the agony of the cross. In response, Peter, one of his closest followers, rebuked him for talking in that way, for making such dire predictions as it seemed to him. Jesus turned round 
and in a surprisingly stern voice, roared at Peter, get behind me, Satan. He knew he was being tempted to follow a different path, and behind that temptation lay Satan, the evil one. It's a reminder for us that we must also be on our guard against the devil's attacks, the way he uses difficult circumstances to lure us away from the path of true life. The challenge here for us is to ask, where do we need protection? Where is evil knocking at your door? When things are tough at work, do we pray for protection against irritability and short-temperedness at home? When we don't have the relationship or the job we dream of, do we pray for protection against envy, discontentment, and unthankfulness? When things are going really well, do we pray for protection against pride and self-reliance? What about our life as a church family? Notice Jesus particularly prays in verse 11 for protection for the disciples that um, they may be one. This is something we'll be thinking about more next week, but worth pondering now. In what ways do we, as a church family, need protecting? Now, if the prayer for protection was, if you like, the, the negative prayer that we wouldn't be overcome by the darkness of the world, in verses 17 to 19, at the close of our passage, we get the, the positive counterpart, that we would be shining as lights in the world. Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. That is, that we would be living distinctive, set-apart lives, that's what sanctify means, by the truth of God's word. As we've seen, Jesus doesn't want us to be taken out of the world, and we must avoid the temptation to retreat into a holy huddle where our only friends are Christians. But the reason he leaves us in the world is because we have a job to do. Jesus prays in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Just as Jesus came into the world on a mission, so he sends us into the world on that same mission. Do we get the full force of what Jesus is saying here? Just as he gave up all the glory of heaven to become a man, just as he endured all that he did on the cross for us, so we too should be prepared for costly mission to be prepared to give up whatever comforts we might have to bring the good news of Jesus to those who do not yet know him. For some, it might mean leaving Christchurch to go overseas, a very costly step to make, or for others to go over the river to Hope Church Chesterton, as some of our number have recently done. For some, it might mean giving up the comfort of a Friday night in to help share the gospel with our young people. But we mustn't fall into the trap of thinking these activities are missional activities and that the people who do these things are the missionaries. All of life is a mission field. We all are missionaries. What does that mean for you? 
It might mean at work, putting the effort into making friendships, taking the time and trouble to love and serve our colleagues in a very sacrificial way, modelling before them the love that Christ has for us. Maybe it be stepping out of our comfort zone to develop relationships with those we don't naturally feel drawn to. Maybe it be being generous with our home, our car, our finances, modelling the generosity Jesus has shown us. If Jesus went from heaven to the cross for you, what comparatively small step can you make to take that same good news to someone else? And this is what Jesus means when he prays for us to be sanctified. He longs for us to be living distinctive lives in this world, joining him on his mission, shining as lights for him in the darkness. And Jesus himself prays for you in that task. And how encouraging is that? He prays for you as you live in the darkness of this world to not be overcome by the darkness, but to live distinctive lives within it. So as well as praying for us as he sends us out into the world, our second point is that he prays um, in this prayer, Jesus draws himself home to himself. Let me read again the opening verses, verses 1 to 5. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to, the, to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I wonder if you, like me, flinched at all a little when you heard those words, glorify your son. That is, Jesus is saying, glorify me. Part of it sounds a bit pompous, doesn't it? Not our normal picture of the all-loving servant-hearted Jesus. But if we unpack a little what Jesus means by this prayer, we'll actually find ourselves amazed at what it is he is in fact asking for. Notice the purpose why he wants to be glorified. We want to be glorified because it boosts our self-esteem, makes us feel better about ourselves. But for Jesus... He wants to be glorified so that your son may glorify you. Jesus doesn't want glory for his own sake. He only wants glory because he knows his father will be glorified. There's a beautiful window here onto the life of the Trinity with the father and the son thinking entirely and only about what is good for the other. In the next verse, we read that the Father has given all authority to Jesus, happily delegating authority to him. And then again in verse 4, Jesus speaks of how 
all that he has done so far has been for the glory of his Father. How different God's glorying is from our own. Our glory is always focused on ourselves, isn't it? But glorying within the Godhead is always to seek the glory of another. Who brings the Son? What brings the Son glory is doing something that can bring the Father glory. But that continual cycle of selfless love doesn't stop within the Trinity. For Jesus' glory is not only glory that can delight in the Father's glory. Jesus' glory is a glory that passionately longs for you and for me. Note those opening words. The hour has come. Throughout John's Gospel, we've repeatedly heard that the hour has not yet come. But now, on the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus declares that the hour has now come. This was the moment all his life had been moving towards. This was the very reason why he came. So when Jesus says the hour has come, he means it's now time for me to lay down my life. It's at this moment that he prays, glorify me. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that his death is the moment when he will be glorified. How shocking is that? When we think about what it means for us to be glorified, we think of receiving praise and adulation, getting to the top of our profession, having a large, impressive house. But for Jesus, his greatest glory is his deepest humiliation. And that's because that deepest humiliation was the greatest act of selfless love the world has ever seen. He laid down his life out of love for you and for me. In giving up his life on the cross, Jesus gives eternal life to us. And eternal life here doesn't simply mean a, a free ticket to heaven. It's something so much better than that. Jesus tells us what he means in, verses, in verse 3. He defines eternal life as knowing God and knowing himself. This is eternal life, he says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's life in intimate relationship with the God who made us in love, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Augustine famously prayed, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We were made by God, and it's only when we know God and can rest in relationship with him that we have full, true life. And so by praying this prayer, Jesus reveals to us not only that he happily lays down his life, that we might have life, but also that there is nothing he would not do and has not done for the sake of bringing us back home to himself. That is how much he loves us. He longs for intimacy with you. And Jesus longs for you to know how passionate he is 
for you. And so in the darkness of this world, brothers and sisters, take great comfort here from seeing the depth of Jesus' love and passion for you, the extent of his commitment to you. When that darkness feels overwhelming, when you feel like a stranger in this world, know that you have a home with Jesus. You belong to him, and he will not let you go. Notice how Jesus continues his prayer in the following verses, verses we don't have time to look in too much detail at. Verse 6, he prays, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. We belong to the Father, and the Father gave us to the Son, and now we belong to Jesus. There are great mysteries here that sadly we don't have the time to go into, but these words are here for our encouragement. Whatever way evil is knocking at your door, know that Jesus not only prays for your protection, but he does protect you, for you belong to him. You belong to God, and he will not let you go. As we close, just take a look with me at what I'm beginning to think might be one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. Look with me at the end of verse 10. Jesus prays, and glory has come to me through them. He's talking about the disciples. The disciples who've often bickered among themselves, who've jockeyed for leadership amongst themselves, and who Jesus knows will very soon abandon him when the going gets tough. Yet astonishingly, about those very disciples, Jesus says that he has been glorified by them. Extraordinary. We might often feel that we are not living very well in this world. Maybe even that we are at times overcome by it. That we're not living as distinctive lights in the darkness. What an amazing thing it is for Jesus to say of people like the disciples, of people like us, that he who is King of kings and Lord of lords gets glory from our feeble attempts to serve him and be his witnesses in the world. What greater incentive could we have to strive to live for a God like this? However faltering our attempts might be, Jesus says that he is glorified by them. Let me pray to close. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the delight that you take in us. And I pray for each one of us here this evening that we would know just how much you long for us. As we head out now into the world, 
Please protect us from all assaults of the evil one and by the power of your spirit, help us to live distinctive lives for you. Amen.